This is Game Design Unboxed on the No Direction Network. Danielle and Denise talk to tabletop game designers about the games they've made. Together, they unbox how a game went from inspiration to publication. Hello, thank you for joining me and Danielle for Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, Episode 22, Season 1 Finale. Today, it is Danielle and I, uh, we are going to be chatting a bit about where we've come in this first season of Game Design Unboxed and talking about our favorite memories and then our plans uh, for what's coming up in the next few months. Danielle, how are you today? Oh, I'm doing awesome. What about you? I'm doing great. Uh, I can't believe that we have made it to 20. 22 episodes. It's I know, it's basically a year. <laughs> it is. Uh, a COVID year in many ways. Honestly, yeah. Uh, so I'm just thinking from your perspective, you had this idea over a year ago. And now that we are 20, uh, 21 interviews in, I'm curious about what you've learned and what you've seen um, evolve and shift and change over the course of this year. Yeah, honestly, I know that I've become a better designer from, you know, being a part of the show, but even just like listening, since I have been the one editing all these episodes, you kind of just pick up on these little nuggets of wisdom that had I not been doing the show, i Maybe would have eventually learned, but I definitely learned a lot quicker since doing it. So selfishly, this idea came from a place of me wanting to become a better designer and wanting to make a podcast that can help others as well become better designers or just get to know more about some of their favorite games. Because I know you're an avid board gamer. You pick up a box, you play a game, you're like, how did they come up with this? Or what's worse is when you play a game, you're like, this was so obvious. How did I not come up with this? I'm interested then... What's one of the tips that you use for some of the things that you're working on? Has anything come up recently? Um, you know, a lot of it has been uh, ideas of just like play testing, blind play testing. Um, when I signed my first game last year, after we started this podcast, the initial episode that we did with like Alex Cutler, just about how to do a contract and what to look for, that was super duper helpful for me because I honestly didn't have much reference besides just what I'd heard. And I would say just like from the get-go, that first episode helped me a lot with that. And then just like going forward with all the following episodes, just like learning things about if I wanted to try to do a Kickstarter. It was hilarious when we found out like how much bubble wrap accidentally got ordered. And it, it's just, there's been like fun little nuggets here and there. And I'm not even sure like what to flash back on the most. I... I'm just now remembering that conversation about contracts with Alex. And it was really helpful even for someone who is not signing any games, but recognizing that those are the pieces that can be really daunting for newcomers and first timers. So it was great to hear their explanation and made it feel less overwhelming, I guess would be the word. And more like, hey, you can do this like one step at a time. Talk to experts, talk to people who've been there, get people to read it. Uh, all, all those different kinds of tips, like they make sense, but it was great. I think a great place to start um, the whole podcast in general. So I completely yeah. agree, especially because he talks about like community, like reach out to me or reach out to other people who've gone through it. And I like that through basically every episode we've done, there has been a sense of community in all of them. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, people talk about their networks and the testing groups they're a part of or people they've met at cons. And also, I think one thing that did stick out to me, and I know a lot of folks who aren't, we've asked a few folks, like, what if you're not really extroverted or getting out there? I think there were also some good tips that folks shared around how to stay within your comfort zone and push just a little bit outside of it, but not too much um, in building community, whether it's going to a much smaller playtesting group that's in your local community, as opposed to starting first with maybe a big con. Um, or a protospiel. Sort of, yeah, or like a protospiel. But also sort of the that community also... I think speaks to that there is a lot of folks out there, even in those bigger spaces that can feel intimidating, who are going to be helpful and supportive and um, are even as much as you can um, bring a lot of that uh, or feel that intimidation, they're like really excited to share. And I heard that from every single designer we talk to, they're almost like joy and sharing like, here are the tips. Here's what I wish I'd learned. And I think that's pretty cool too. It helps dispel some of any any anxieties people may have. Oh my God. Even just a recency effect, the last episode we dropped with Vanessa, she, she basically detailed how to become an RPG writer, like the best ways to do it. Very specific names of like how to get into it, some publishers that are good, some magazines that you can work towards. And it's just like these little bits of information that you might not know, but just listening to this podcast, you're like, oh my God, wait, I can do this? Like me, myself, just a few years back, I thought I had to work for Hasbro if I wanted to make a game. And then I realized, no, it's like making a book. You just find a publisher and then they publish it. And you know, anyone can do it. You just maybe, I mean, you have to be decently okay at it, but mostly just it's about networking and just trying your hardest and, you know, play testing and just fine tuning. And I know a lot of these people we've had on here, like it wasn't a quick turnaround. Like some of them spent up to six, seven years to get their game out. Mm -hmm. Or even as long as 10 in terms of how long the idea was percolating. I think that was something I took away from this entire season was seeing how long it takes, that it is not something that just happens overnight, that you will keep working at it, keep tinkering, and that you have a whole life. Like there are folks who are like doing their life. They have they mm-hmm. have jobs. They have <laughs> other family members. Kids, illness, kids, money troubles. Yeah. Managing COVID. Like there's just so much happening. And to know that it's really about that persistence over time, having a lot of compassion and grace for yourself that, yeah, maybe it's not this year, but maybe next year you'll, you'll find more space for it um, to work on this design or tinker with this uh, version. I just thought that was pretty cool and made it seem less mystical and more sort of recognizing that design in and of itself is an artistic endeavor. And one, when you're creating something, it does take time and it on some level takes that commitment and enthusiasm for you that you're designing it for yourself and for something fun and for something that could be really cool. And that's okay. And some things may get published, some things won't, but like there is something to like finding the joy in the process as a designer, as a creator that I do think it came out from a lot of almost actually everyone we talked to that is almost like part of that special sauce that helps you keep going year after year. 
Oh, I, I completely I, agree. Yeah, I don't know if I'd ever make that connection before of sort of the uh, like the artists in my life um, felt very similar. Oh, for sure. Yeah, I remember when Justin DeWitt was talking about Castle Panic and how many times he kind of just like put it off on the shelf and then he openly admitted to he's glad he created the game he created when he did because he needed those years of just becoming a better designer getting better to make what now is like an evergreen I mean he's done multiple spin-offs which he talks about and it's just it's so interesting to see that sometimes you feel defeated when you put a game design on the shelf and I know myself like I put I've shelved things for a year I have a few that I've shelved multiple times or I've like added a co-designer just to like get it out of its rut but it's like it's not a failure to shelve something sometimes it's going to come back sometimes it's going to stay there and it's going to lay it a little dusty maybe you're just going to use a piece of the mechanic like when Gil Hova talked about okay you know there's this thing I wanted to work finally deciding that he needed to cut the thing that maybe was his favorite but didn't work with the game out knowing that you can use that mechanic or that theme or whatever element in a different game is just really nice. Like when you start to design more, you design with the idea that cutting things is okay. Streamlining is okay. Or just like, yeah, maybe you want to buff it up a little bit, make it a little more complicated. It's like, just, just go with what the game needs and definitely don't like fight back against playtesters Cause I know we talked about that a few times and it's been very interesting this whole journey. Yes. I'm curious then what's been some of your favorite memories you've uh, we've been able to share a bit about what we've learned from folks but what are some of the highlights of conversations we've had I love Joshua talking about cat lady when he talked about drawing that uh, drawing in the box to kind of say to the couple that came up to him for the couple to give to their family be like hey we're pregnant that was great that was an awesome memory that story I agree. There was, it, it had this moment of like, wow, here is some of the power of relationships and community and uh, just fun and really uh, just heartfelt things that can happen in board gaming. And that was really special. I also loved, Josh did this a lot with Cat Lady, sort of the joy around puns and love of cats and all fur babies, really. Mm -hmm. Bez brought that, too. They had so much joy around Kitty Cataclysm. And the fun of the game just came out so much in how they talked about it. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And adding the puns and, and also just thinking about the, the fun that can be had in just the designing process and in understanding the mechanisms and seeing the game sort of explode on the table. I really love that part. That's why I play board games. And so to hear that happen for them while they are designing them too was really cool. Oh my God. Yeah. Or when we talked to the XYZ Game Labs group about our travels, it was just so interesting to hear about like, this is this game about like knitting. And they're talking about how these people would just like come and start knitting things for them and like showing all these cool projects that they put together and just 
their enthusiasm for the diversity that they put into the artwork, just having, I mean, they have a character that's in a wheelchair. They have characters of different ethnicities, like just talking about how that was a huge part of what they did for the artwork, just taking or seeing designers or publishers take that next step to like be conscious of adding that extra element, that extra, like we're just not all white guy characters, which used to be the case for all board games. It's nice to see them taking that, next step to make an even better more inclusive game and that i i would go farther and say it's not even a next step it should be the first step oh yeah it should be and that's part of the challenge i think for so many designers who've maybe grown up grown up old school or who um don't yet understand how important representation is in gaming. I totally agree. It was such a joy to hear um, all of them talk about their uh, intentionality and the work they did to make sure it was inclusive and not just in representation of people on the pictures, et cetera, but also inclusive of the topic they were talking about in terms of the fabric arts community and all of the different ways that there is such a rich history and present uh, creation and artistic community around fabric arts and Mm -hmm. to really take time to get to know uh, know this community, understand uh, what uh, terminology and and what that means, and let and figuring out ways to weave that not pun not intended into the game. Um, <laughs> so intended <laughs> uh, was just so freaking cool, and I I think that was definitely one of the funnest uh, interviews uh, was with them. I also Over enjoyed. Her talking with Maxine uh, around uh, her game Stripes, I shared that I went and got it at the end and (laughs) really enjoyed it. And I think the other cool thing about this podcast is getting to hear from designers that I've have not heard of, but who are in the community doing amazing work, making cool, innovative games and being exposed to that. And she was so kind and really, I think, represents one of the um, important uh, things that are needed in the board game community of folks who are welcoming and kind and Mm -hmm. really thinking about how to support new game designers and bringing them in with all the work that she's done with the Chicago Protospiel and in the greater uh, Chicago community. And I thought that was really, really cool to hear about. I completely agree. Maxine's an awesome person. I used to play test with her back when I was in the Chicago area. And I mean, another female that I love talking to was Erica, because we got to talk about Bosque, which is this interesting idea that her and uh, Daryl put together. But not only talking about that game, but her insight on designing for like IP games when she touched on like Scott Pilgrim and the Steam in the Universe. It's just like, I never put together the fact that yeah, it's cool to design for an IP, but it's like this company is licensing this thing and it's like they can't keep reprinting it unless they're paying for this license and licenses like switch hands constantly. So it's not really the most lucrative uh, way to sign a game because, you know, it's very likely that it's not going to become an evergreen because 
this, they might not continue to license it unless it's doing spectacularly well. And, you know, that was something I never really thought about. And that was, that's the cool part about this podcast is there's these things that you wouldn't think about unless you're a part of it. And like, I know personally at work, I currently am designing something that is for an IP and listening to her talk or when Daryl was like touching on a little bit of the dark Knight game that he was designing and just like a few others, I got to really like jot down those notes in my head because they became very useful in my day job. Mm-hmm. That's so cool. It's another area of the world of board gaming. I working with IPs that I had no idea about and really didn't understand. I mean, we haven't talked a lot about the economics of it. I think that's maybe one thing for next season um, or if, you know, if there's another season um, is to think about, I would just be really curious to hear from folks more about the economics of gaming, because I think we've talked about a lot of passion projects for different folks and for others. It, It is their source of income. And I'm just curious about how folks make that choice between passion project versus full-time, this is my mm-hmm. thing now, and and how that shows up. I think that would be something I'd love to learn more about, especially for people who are thinking about that as their future. Especially, I mean, for you, you've made the decision to go full-time into this. I'm curious what propelled you to move forward as this is my full-time hustle and not my side hustle. I think for me personally, I mean, we've heard from a few different people that started their own company, joined a different company or freelancing. But me personally, I knew that freelancing wasn't what I was going to do. I'm not going to lie. I've always been more comfortable working full time jobs that have like full benefits, feel way more secure versus freelance, which is something I've always done on the side. Mm-hmm. So when an opportunity came up at GPI, which is mostly known for game manufacturing, I... I'm not going to lie. I hesitated a lot on it because I would have to relocate, which I did from Chicago to Springfield, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. which is terrifying, especially during a pandemic. But just after meeting everybody who worked there, getting to know more about what I'd be doing, which is project coordinator, mostly working with manufacturing. But my boss, when I was interviewing, the main reason they wanted me was because I did have that design experience and a little bit of like development experience. But I mean, I'm, I was two years into the hobby maybe mm-hmm. if not at this point but thanks to this podcast thanks to like a blog I'd been writing and a bunch of other things that I had been doing kind of in my free time they saw the potential in me and you know what I signed on and now I mean I'm actually spending I would say 20-30% of my day doing the stuff that I love which is designing like I get to now if I if there's a game that I want to play because I think it might inspire me I can I can buy it I can play it that's part of my work now or if there is a game that I'm like starting to design and I need programs, they pay for my Adobe programs. It's like they're very supportive of my creative outlets because it gets added to our GPI portfolio, which we do pitch to publishers. And through them, I have my first game that's actually going to be published next month, which is very exciting. That's great. Do you want to share more about it? So sadly, until the press release comes out, because we've kind of touched on it with a few interviews, but right now, thanks to COVID, um, Logistics is ridiculous, getting games over from China over to the U.S. So this yeah. game is now looking at probably a month later. Originally, it was supposed to release around my birthday, which is early September. But now, uh, probably not going to be talking about it until October, which is unfortunate. 
Things I will say, though, I've learned working on a mass market game versus a hobby game, so different. Their mindset is bizarro because you look at mass market and they will go to Target with concept ideas, not even fully fleshed out games. And then Target will say, yeah, we want this concept. And then quickly they have like a date of maybe a month, two, three months to turn around a fully functioning game with art, tested, developed, all that fun stuff. And I know this because I've had three development credits now on uh, mass market games. And that's what I had to do. I had to like take the games that were designed. I had to quickly go through them, make sure that they were working, not broken. And, you know, I mean, you can only test as much as you can in like three months. But that has been interesting versus the hobby side, which is more what we have interviewed. We've definitely interviewed more hobby game designers than we have mass market. And the turnaround for a hobby game, we've talked to people that have like spent seven years or even like a year, two years. Like it's a much longer period of time versus a few months. Like I'm not going to lie, the game that is coming out in a month or two, I designed that game in a week and we play tested and worked on it for maybe a month, month and a half. And then it was off to be printed. Crazy. (laughs) I know. I mean, it is a party game, so it's little different expectations, like a getting to know you game, but still it is such a different mentality. Well, that's great. Well, congratulations. And I know folks are going to be really excited to see that come out. Oh yeah. I'm very excited. (laughs) So let's, we can chat a little bit about uh, planning for next time. So this is our season one finale and I can share, I'm going to, this will be my last episode uh, with game design. So sad. We're sad (laughs) for her leaving her beautiful voice and encyclopedic knowledge. (laughs) Thank you, Danielle. I was in a board game store the other day, my friendly local board game store or whatever the acronym is supposed to be. And I uh, heard a family wanting um, some recommendations on games. And I so wanted to step in and steer them in a different direction (laughs) than the the person there. And I was like, that's not your job. Step away. It is a hundred percent your job. If they are sending those poor people to like a $50 terrible game, it is your job. It is your civic duty (laughs) to tell them they're wrong (laughs) and give those people the game they need. (laughs) Yes. But it also, it just hit me to walk around the store and be like, I've either played every, almost all of these or I know about them and why I haven't you know, played them yet, not because of not liking them or anything, because I haven't played them, but just haven't had time to. Um, But it just was really fun because I'm like, oh, if they like that game, then I bet they'd really like this one and this one. Um, So it's just so fun. I do. I do love talking about board games so much. And it's been such a joy um, being on the podcast and learning from so many different people. My hope is I'll just pop up in another place. I'm thinking about another podcast that I may do, but life is so full right now for me. Um, I am excited to pass the torch to the true uh, brains and architect behind it all. You, Danielle. Um, And yeah, I'm curious what you're thinking about for plans for the upcoming months. So you have your new game coming out. Anything else you're excited about? 
Yeah, I mean, well, this year, just in 2021, I had credits on a game for doing illustration work, which was super exciting because I never thought my illustrations would end up in a game, but they did. So this game called Slingshot Maneuver, it's just like a space-themed abstract two-player game earlier this year. And it was an interesting story of just my friend Josh was asking if I could like make a cool looking graphic so he could pitch it, you know, to publishers just for his prototype. But the publisher ended up signing him and saying, can I also get the artist? And so that was exciting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it was like, that was super exciting and unexpected. So I now have like that. And then I mentioned um, through Big G, I have three games that are development credits. So one unfortunate thing about mass market games is normally they only, if they list a designer and an illustrator, like that's all they list. So mm-hmm. that's kind of unfortunate. So I do get to put it on my portfolio. I do get to post on social media saying that I worked on Ghosted, Cluckle, and Corner Crush. So mm-hmm. that's still three games I can now say I've helped develop. So that's exciting. Then I have another game coming out in one to two months, which is just like a fun getting to know you party game, you know, very light, but it will be in Walgreens. So just knowing that it's exciting for me. Um, Then I have Innkeeper signed with Talent Strikes. That's probably not going to be out for another, gosh, probably two years, if we're being honest here, with how long development takes on the hobby side. Mm -hmm. But, you know, as we've learned through the show, you know, time doesn't really matter. Like, just make the best game you can possibly make. And then I have three other uh, projects that hopefully, I mean, technically signed, but you never know what's going to happen. But hopefully I will be seeing my name in the next two years on at least five games. That's incredible. Yeah. I'm super psyched. Like, I know I'm so blessed with just, like, the job I have and the people I've Matt, because as you were saying, walking through a local friendly game store, I go around and I point at things as like, I know that designer. I've talked to that designer. It's like, this designer's my friend. This person's on board game broads with me. And it's like, I feel like a celebrity almost like, oh, yeah, I know George Clooney. And like, oh, yeah, right there, Jennifer Aniston. No, not quite. But, you know, it still feels great. (laughs) That's so fun. Well, I have to say one of the things that um, I want to make sure that I share before I leave is just a heartfelt thank you to all of the designers who have been so gracious with their time and generous with their time and talked with us and just shared their story. It's helped not just me, but I know so many listeners who've learned from every single person we've had on the podcast and just want to say thank you for taking time out uh, to share uh, your uh, inspiration, the publication story. And a big thank you to Danielle for making this real for all the editing and all of the prep and getting all these great designers and setting so many pieces up that happen behind the scenes on podcasts. Danielle, really, you are uh, just have been phenomenal. And it's so been so much fun to work with you on this. Thanks for letting me join in as my, you know, my little board game fan self um, has just had such a great time and love being able to talk with designers for both board games and uh, RPGs too. Can't forget Vanessa. Such a great conversation with her. Um, So yeah, thank you so much for all of that. And I wish the whole uh, board game design family and community a great uh, heartfelt uh, thank you. Yeah. 
I completely agree. Yeah. Thank you for everyone who's been listening and all those amazing designers. I mean, you guys have made my design significantly better. I know that I have probably doubled in experience just being a part of the show and selfishly bringing on, you know, people I wanted to hear from that I could learn from because you know what? It's almost like a mentorship program, just listening to these stories and learning from people's mistakes. Cause I mean, we always ask like, what was your least favorite? What was your favorite part? And it's like good, it's good to learn both sides. And it's funny when, you know, you have a story that's actually the same. It's the worst and the best moment. Like when we uh, heard, what was it for Dinosaur Island? Um, the demo copy had gotten stolen. It was like unfortunate, but also kind of hilarious that it ended up on eBay, which is <laughs> nuts. <laughs> so it's just like, it's great hearing these stories that there's no way you would ever know. Like, had you picked up this board game, you wouldn't know the history behind it. You wouldn't know the intention behind it or if like the theme came first or the mechanic came first or the cat puns. Like, you just don't know. And I have, I've loved getting to meet these amazing people and hear more about their stories and just like get out of my comfort zone as a designer to try to replicate or I don't know, get close to these amazing people we've had on the show. Yeah, it has been so much fun. Well, thank you for joining us for this episode of Game Design Unboxed, Inspiration to Publication, episode 22, our season one finale. Thank you again for joining us all on this journey. Uh, For our socials, one last time for me, you can find me on Twitter at Year23. And for you, Danielle? And for me, you can find me on Facebook at DMR Creative Group, as well as Twitter at Creative DMR, and then Instagram at Token Gamer, and that's G A Y M E R. You can also find any information on this podcast or like game design or just play testing on my website, www.dmrcreativegroup.com. Thanks, all. Yeah, thank you so much for listening. This has been another episode of Game Design Unboxed, inspiration to publication. If you'd like to hear more great gaming podcasts, check out nodirectionpodcast.com. Join us next time.